Thank you, James. Screen's going up so you can see the cross. At the end of the service, we'll sing the doxology from memory because the screen will be up. I just thought I'd give you that little program note. So glad you are here today. Just great to see you on Resurrection Sunday. I started my preparation for this message, no kidding, 30 years ago. You want me to tell you about that? It was in Ohio. We lived in Ohio at the time. And uh, there in Ohio, springtime came just a few days sooner than it does here in Michigan, but never soon enough. And on that first morning when I looked out and it was just warm and sunny and beautiful, I decided that I would take a hike, I'd take a walk. My study was in the house at the time. Easter was coming. I had a message to write. I wasn't really sure what I would preach about. It's always a struggle to figure out because there's so much to preach about on Resurrection Sunday. You know, if you wanted to, you could do apologetics on Resurrection Sunday, and you could tell all the reasons why it's reasonable to believe that Jesus is alive, and you could do that. Or you could go to any one of the parts of the gospel that tell a part of the resurrection story, and you could just take one of those sections, and you could preach the resurrection from one of those stories, like, like James read early today and didn't thrill our hearts. Or you could go to the book of Acts, and you could go through the book of Acts because everywhere the apostles went with the, with the good news, their message was the same. It was always the resurrection of Jesus Christ that they taught. And so you can find beautiful text about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from any of those places in the book of Acts. Or you could preach from the epistles if you wanted to, because they, you could cherry pick passages from the epistles, because the letters of the apostles are filled with references to the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We could go to 1 Corinthians 15, and there was a man whose name was Paul who was an enemy of the church, struck down on the road to Damascus, taught the Christian way, met the risen Christ, went to church in Jerusalem. They taught him an ancient hymn of the church, which probably was about, started, that hymn was probably as old as, almost as old as the church is, a couple of months into the life of the church. They probably penned the hymn that he recorded in 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection of Jesus and about our resurrection, those who believe, because of the resurrection of Jesus. Or we could go to Romans in chapter 8, and we could not only talk about the resurrection of Christ, but how the resurrection of Christ makes it possible for us to rise again someday and to live again, and for our believing loved ones who've gone on to be with the Lord to live again, and for us to see them again. And then it goes on to say about, really, the resurrection of planet Earth in a beautiful, like poetic, like beautiful poet poetic passage in, in Romans in chapter 8. Or what we could do is on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, we could pick some of the greatest stories storytellers have ever told in the history of mankind, the stories of the post-resurrection appearances of Christ. And you'd go through those, and one Easter you could preach on the road to Emmaus. And matter of fact, you could do a few Easter's on the road to Emmaus. You could do the time that Jesus made breakfast for Peter in a post-resurrection appearance on the shores of Lake Galilee. What a story it is to tell that story of the post-resurrection appearance of Jesus Christ. Or what about the one about like for those of us who are here today and we still have question marks in our mind. What about doubting Thomas, that post-resurrection appearance of Jesus Christ? Or what about the one where Jesus met 
hundreds of his disciples up on a mountain in Galilee, and he said, go into all the world and, and make disciples of all the nations and, and baptize them and teach them to observe everything I've commanded. What about that one? But today, I'm, enough resurrection messages, I could, I could keep preaching on Easter's here until I'm babbling and drooling. Maybe I will. Who knows? But today, I started my message preparation 30 years ago. I took my grandpa's, he called it a blanket line wamas. That was his name for the chore coat that he handed down to me. And I put it on that spring morning. And uh, I put a New Testament, a little New Testament, happened to be the New King James Version, what I was reading at the time. Put that little leather New Testament in my pocket that day. And I went for a little walk. I called it a hike, but it was a pretty modest walk. Wanted to hear the bird songs, wanted to see the wildflowers, wanted to feel the sun on my head. And, there, and, and we lived in a valley, and very, very beautiful in southern Ohio. Such a beautiful morning. I walked up on that hill that morning, and I, and I thought, well, Lord, what, what do I preach on for Easter? Such a big pageant. What do I preach on, Lord? I opened my little New Testament, started to read. And I stumbled on the text that we're going to preach from today, which if you have your Bible with you, you can look it up and follow along in Matthew 28. Matthew 28 is the end of the first gospel. Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15. Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15. Now here's what, here's what shocked me when I read it. I was up there on a rock on the top of the hill, and I was looking down on the valley 30 years ago, and I was reading this res the resurrection account, this beautiful resurrection account, and I, and, and I came to verse 11, and verses 11 through 15 are a sub-story of the big story, and an, and an interesting, an odd story that got tucked in here. Among all these momentous things, we follow the guards for a while. The Roman soldiers, if you will. They're called soldiers earlier. They're probably Roman, most likely Roman guards. And they're to guard the tomb of Jesus, specifically to make sure nobody lies about, him, you know, steals the body and then says stages of resurrection. Because Jesus had said he would rise again in three days. Then the scribes and Pharisees were a little nervous that there was going to be a conspiracy and a pretend resurrection so they asked Pilate, this is in chapter 27, they asked Pilate, can we have a guard? He says, you have a guard, you can do with them what you like. Matter of fact, let's just read it, it's 27 and 62. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, sir, we remember how that imposter, they said, they called him, that imposter, while he was still alive, after three days, he said, I will arise. I'm sorry, I can't read this without saying he wasn't an imposter. I just want to say that. That's what they called him. Therefore, therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone by setting a guard, because this is the, the guard, the, the soldiers are the guys we're talking about here. And when I went up on that hill and I was reading my little New Testament, here's what I saw that just, 
shocked me. They, they went to, after the resurrection and after what the guards saw, they go to report now to the council and they tell them everything they said. And then the council conspires with them to create this little lie and to get them to tell that lie instead of saying, we saw an angel, we had felt an earthquake, we saw a great light, they said he was raised, we saw that he was in the tomb, we saw that the tomb was empty. Instead of saying that, they said, just tell them you fell asleep and they stole the body, which is kind of a dumb lie. How do you know what happened if you're sleeping? But anyway, tell them you fell asleep and, they, and, and you suspect they stole the body while you were sleeping. Tell them that. And then they said, and they gave him a sum of money, probably a large sum of money, he says. And then here's the phrase that stood out to me, and this is what spills out in the New King James 30 years ago up on a hill when I was reading it. So they took the money and they did what they were told. It was like somebody shot me with a taser in the heart when I read that. They took the money and they did what they were told. And the rest of that verse, I think it's 15, the Jews still tell that story today, it says. Kind of like an old storyteller. That's my story, and now it's yours. And they all lived happily ever after. The Jews still tell that story today. So I've been thinking about that for 30 years. I'm so going to burn your ham today. No, 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 no. I've been instructed carefully not to do that. I, w- I wouldn't think of it. But it would be important that, you know, I think most of you are convinced believers today. Or, 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 or you maybe you're like most people, and that is you're mostly convinced, and, and every once in a while you have some doubts. That, that would be natural. It would be worth examining this claim that Jesus Christ is who he said he is, and he rose from the dead to prove it, and he transforms lives, and he gives eternal life, and he forgives sin. It would be worth investigating that claim. Imagine that uh, you got a, a letter from an attorney an officious letter, a certified letter from an attorney, would you open it? Of course you would. Answer is yes. Got a certified letter, signed for it, would you open it? Yes. Would you read it? Of course you would. So would I. Pretend that this certified letter from the attorney, it says, you have a relative you don't know, way back, who is wealthy and has died and they left you in a large amount of money in their will, a million dollars, let's just make it a million. It's our story, we're making it up. <laughs> Left you a million. And you would go, I don't have wealthy relatives. Not me. I don't have wealthy relatives. That's impossible. That's highly unlikely. That's what you would say, right? You're like me, I'd be like, highly unlikely. This is some kind of scam. Wouldn't you? You'd say to your wife, this is some kind of scam. Then you would burn the letter and you would never think about it again. Am I right? No, I, no that's not what you would do. You would say, this is a scam and I know it, but I'm going to investigate it anyway. I heard a guy say that. I thought that was pretty funny. Of course you'd investigate. You ought to investigate. Can I suggest, even if you have doubts, the claim is so large, you probably should investigate it. Oh, and millions have been transformed Millions who were sad have been given joy. Millions who were addicted have been set free. Millions who are guilty are no longer living in shame. Millions who had no hope of eternal life 
now have a hope of eternal life, you might want to investigate these stories. And so you have these guards. Let's read it now. And this is in chapter 28 of Matthew and verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city, told the chief priests all that had taken place. This was after the resurrection. Oh, and, and in verse 4, notice they, they surfaced in 28.4. For fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Okay, so like they saw something. Did they see the risen Christ? Perhaps not. They saw that the grave was occupied by Christ. They saw that the grave on Sunday morning was empty. They saw the stone was rolled away. They felt the earthquake. They saw the angel. They saw the brilliant light. They were like dead men. So they had an encounter. Uh, they had a resurrection encounter. Now in verse 11, while they're going, some of the guards went to the city, told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they assembled with the elders and they'd taken counsel, they gave a sufficient or a large sum of money to the soldiers. This is where it kind of gets sketchy and dark. They paid them off. And they said, here's the money, right? Tell the people his disciples came by night, stole him away while we were asleep. You've heard of conspiracy theories? This is a conspiracy. They conspired to make up a story that wasn't true about Jesus' resurrection. And why did they do that? Because they didn't want him cutting in on their religious game. They didn't want any religious competition. They had a religious political system and they had a lock on it. Jesus was messing that up. He does that. Now, verse 15, I'm sorry, verse 14. And if it comes to the governor's ears, and I'm going to show you four things here that I want you to think about. Number one, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. We're going to make sure you have a safe, comfortable, trouble-free life. Just take the money. Do what you're told. And the second thing was, they took the money. And the third was, they did what they were told. Doesn't it sound like, what do you call that? I'm on nowhere in church and you're all dressed up. That's, that's just like prostitution. They took the money. They did what they were told. In verse 15, and this story has been spread among the Jews unto this day. Let's go over this. Go over the, the four things that these guards, that happen with these guards, these four phrases, if you will, keep you out of trouble. Take the money, do what you're told, tell the story that we told you to tell, these four things. Think about them. You, you, have, uh, you have had an encounter with the risen Christ. You have to decide what story you're going to tell. Everybody has to decide what story they're going to tell. What story are you going to believe? What story are you going to live in? You, you have to decide the same, you have the same decision to make. What will you do? That, that's the question here. Now, these thugs, they settled for a safe and comfortable life, or at least they thought they did. They said, well, we don't want to get in any trouble. Roman soldiers, sure, they, if they were Roman soldiers, they probably were, and, and it implied here, they would have been in trouble. This would be a capital offense to fail at something like this. They may die or they may suffer. They, they said, no, I'd rather have a comfortable life than be in trouble with Rome. Rome was violent and bloodthirsty, and swift. So they settled for a safe, comfortable solution. Second thing, 
They made foolish, petty investments. They took the money. You think about this. I'm, let your imagination run wild. What did they do with the money? How much was it? What did they do with it? Did they buy like a new chariot, a, a better sword? Did they take a trip with a friend? Or what, what happened with the money? If they're like some of you, they invested it, and, they, and it's going to grow a little bit. They were really smart. They can, they can squander it later when they're old. They can die and give it to their kids. If they're like others of us, they just found something nice to buy. They bought something nice. They went somewhere. They took, they took the money and they did something. But then it was gone. And they were left with the story to live with. And then they did what they were told. It wasn't a one-time thing, right? You would have to keep telling the story. You would have to kind of live there. This would be the thing you'd have to keep saying. And people would say, let me, I hear you were, is it true? I, I heard, word on, word on the street is, is it? Did you, are you one of the guys, this Jesus guy, everybody time, and Jesus' popularity spread a bit, wouldn't you say? And people would say, what about Jesus? I think you had something to do with him, right? You were, weren't you a guard at the tomb? And you're like, I don't like to talk about that. Or you're like, uh, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I hate to say it, but some of the guys fell asleep. And we, we, we suppose they stole, stole his body, and then they said he was, you know, they're, they're kooky people. Christians are, yeah. You'd have to live that. <laughs> and, a, and a fourth thing, oh, and, oh, and by the way, be, be careful what you do for, for money, you know. Be careful what you do when people put pressure on you to do things that are questionable. Be careful. A young man asked me recently, is it wrong to gamble? Pastor, is it a sin to gamble? That's what he said. Does the Bible teach anywhere that it's a sin to gamble? I did like pastors do. I kind of sidestepped it a little bit. I said to him, I said to him, well, you know, here's the thing. It's kind of the wrong question to ask. The right question would be, what would be the best use of my money? What would be the wisest use of my money? In other words, if we said you can gamble and you will probably win some and lose more. That's probably what will happen because you've never seen a shabby casino anywhere, right? I mean, you'll probably win some and you'll lose more. You, you probably won't go. You'll have enough win to keep you going and not enough to really satisfy you. But there is a thing. If the Bible is true, if Jesus is God, if he died and he rose again, and the apostles, what they said was true, and, and you can trust the Bible, it says that there are investments that you can make that will continue to pay off for the rest of your life and eternity. So the real question is, how should I use my money? But anyway, they decided they would just take the little pay off. And I think people are still doing that. Just tell me I get a little something here now and then I'll do what I'm told. And we're doing what we're told. And then that's what they did. And, and, and then it says they were enslaved. And by the way, they, when they said they, they're doing what they were told, they, another way of saying it was these guards enslaved themselves to a man-made religious political system. Most of us don't even really like the political system that we vote for. We go lesser of two evils. That's what we say all the time. And that's probably pretty accurate in many cases, though there are some who are honorable statesmen and women. We 
We'll just do what we're told. In other words, we'll take a little bit of money and then we will fall in line and we will follow the company line and we'll do what we're told and we'll be enslaved, we'll prostitute ourselves to a man-made, cheap, knockoff political religious system. When the king of the universe was resurrected in our presence and we could have followed him. So that, may, that brings me to the idea, what could have been with these guys? You ever thought about that? What could have been? What could have been with these very men? What could have been? Think about that. Think of those four things. They settled for safe, comfortable lives, too. They made foolish, unwise, temporary, petty investments. They, they enslaved themselves to a man-made religious system, and then they had to live with their lie when the money was gone. For the rest of their lives, they had to live with their lie. My wife and I, we watch television together, usually Dateline, where mates kill each other. <laughs> Just a little feel-good thing that we're in the habit of doing. <laughs> so we've got this figured out. Every once in a while, I think, why does she want to watch these programs? <laughs> and then I make her drink the tea first before I... Like, but yeah, you know, it's probably a pretty shabby illustration, but if you killed your mate to be with somebody else and you hung out with that other person that knew you killed your mate, I mean, what kind of lie would that be? Like, you'd be looking at that person all the time going, we know you've killed once. I would just say, that's probably not a good way to live. It'd be like, you have to live a lie the rest of your life. I'm like, that probably, that's what these guys did. They, they had this, this had to keep... They had to live that lie. They had to keep telling that lie. But it, but it could have been different. Think about it. They could have been brave and courageous. They could have been martyrs for the faith. They could have gone to heaven, flags open and, and shoulders back into the presence of the conquering king. I died for Jesus. They said the lie, but I wouldn't do it. I said, he's alive. They could have been brave. They could have been courageous. They could have been heroic. They could have been martyrs. It would be better to be a martyr, to die swiftly and then go to heaven forever and be rewarded forever than to live the shabby little story they lived. They, they could have traded this little petty payoff for an eternal reward that would never stop paying back. They could have made an investment of all investments. They, they could have been humble servants of the one true God. I have a friend who's a preacher. He's an awesome preacher. He's really been used to the Lord. He's a powerful preacher. I love to hear him. If I'm ever like in the dumps, I turn on a, a video of Tom Harmon and I watch him preach and he stirs my heart. You know what he calls himself? Just a field hand. I love that. I'm just a field hand. I'm just a common field worker for Jesus. Uh, they say about Hudson Taylor, you know, Hudson Taylor went to China, literally opened this entire nation for God. And thousands upon thousands of missionaries followed Hudson Taylor eventually into China. China's church today has been touched by the ministry of Hudson Taylor. He was introduced once in Canada as the illustrious Hudson Taylor. And he got up and he said, before I preach, I must say, I'm the humble servant of an illustrious master. These men could have said, kill me, but I'm going to be a humble servant of the omnipotent king of the universe who raised his son Jesus from the dead. That's what they could have done. Think about that. They could have been star witnesses to the greatest event in human history. That'd be neat, wouldn't it? 
you're traveling and you're saying, hi, I'm one of those guards. Yes, I was there. And they ask you the question. And then what happened? Well, then there was this earthquake and, and there was this pride. We looked in, there was no one there. And we know why. We know it was because Jesus said he would rise again. He's the, he's the Lord and I follow him. Can you imagine how clear-eyed and how, how strong and how beautiful a life it would be just to say, I'm a star witness of the greatest event in human history. That would, be, that would be the way to live. Doesn't that sound better than they took the money and they did what they were told? And the Jews still tell this shabby story to this day instead of the story of the resurrection that we've been singing about today. Which would you choose? That's the real question this morning. I was at the doctor. I talked to a nice girl to the doctor. She's got a little girl. She's a nice girl. I like her. Now, there may have been more going on, but I said, what about Easter? I said, little girls, you know, when you have little girls and it's Easter, oh my goodness, you know, what a fun day. I said, what are you doing for Easter? <laughs> this girl goes, we're going to Stevie's Ranch. Steve's Ranch is, okay, a kind of a basic restaurant here in town. It's nice. It's not, I mean, you know, it's not like, if I said to my wife, it's our 25th anniversary, we're going to Stevie's Ranch, she might, we might be on Dateline after that. It's like, <laughs> That's when she killed him. And it was after the Stevie's Ranch thing. <laughs> you know, we never found his body after that. <laughs> Strange. Stevie's Ranch. Not a bad restaurant, but that's all she said. I was like, and what about the Jesus-y part? You know, where we, sit, where we play horns and we sing those anthems that make our hearts beat fast, bring a tear to our eye. You know, where are you going where they're going to tell the story that they've taken all around the world and changed the lives of people? Going to Stevie's Ranch, we're dressing up, going to Stevie's Ranch. I'm like, she doesn't know. She doesn't know. She doesn't know. She doesn't know her life could be completely changed. She doesn't know the heartache her little girls are going to bring her someday like all kids do. She doesn't know she has to face God someday and give an answer for what she did about his son, our Savior Jesus. It's, it's not enough to celebrate Easter. That's not the point of this day. It's to be transformed by the living Christ. That's the point. You don't want to come to the end and say, yeah, you know, there was that story. I used that for an excuse to eat ham and have a little party and get with the family. It's like, oh, those are nice things but they're sort of shallow when you could be brave and courageous or make eternal investments in things that will always pay or, or when you could be a humble servant of the one true God or you could be a star witness of the story. You could tell the story the rest of your life and watch other people's lives changed. I pastored, I've told the Easter story since 1977 as a, as a pastor. I was a pastor in 1977, 17. And it wasn't a good pastor, just a pastor. But I was, I was preaching the resurrection. So for 45 years, um, I have seen a lot of people celebrate Easter. I've seen a lot of people color their Easter eggs and don their Easter bonnet, tie their bow tie. I've seen a lot of the people get with their friends. But I've also seen a few people totally transformed by Jesus, like Cliff Carpenter. Cliff came to our church. It might have been Easter. I went back. I met him. I visited him in his home. He was like kind of one of those guys that's like good old boy. Kind of. A, he was an athlete. He was a strapping athlete. He had been all his life. He was, uh, he was a, a school teacher, and he made a lot of money playing 
like semi-pro softball, and he was amazing. He was built, and he was strong, and he could hit the ball and run. He still can. He's old now, but he's still can. He's a strong man. I went and called on him, and it was like I was back in high school talking to the athletes. I didn't know what to do with myself. I kind of left that day, and it felt like a failure. He visited again. I visited him again. Nothing much happened. One day I'm playing in the yard with the kids, and Cliff stops by my house, and he makes a conversation. I think, well, he doesn't hate me like most of the athletes in school did when I was a kid. He's a decent guy. So I thought, well, he's showing a little openness. One day I said to him, Cliff, can I buy you breakfast? Yes, he said. And then while we're eating breakfast, I said, if I, if I wanted to get in shape, would it help me to hire a personal trainer? He goes, absolutely. <laughs> kind of like, yeah, you need that. You know, like kind of how I read it. I'm like, well, I look at myself kind of like a spiritual trainer. And I wonder if you have an interest in kind of growing spiritually and I could kind of coach you in that. He goes, I love that. His wife was named Amy. He goes, can she get involved? Now I could go on through the afternoon telling the story, but Cliff came to know Jesus Christ. But Cliff was kind of a hothead. So he was really good. So he was honestly proud and angry sometimes. And Cliff, everybody in town knew it because he was very, very well known. They changed the rules at the ballpark because Cliff hit home runs so often, they limited how many home runs you were allowed to hit kind of a thing. And, and he, was, he, would, he would kind of pop off and get angry. We were studying the Bible one day, and he goes, before we start, I was reading my Bible, and I'm confused. About, I'll never forget, he was as sincere as he could be. Before we start, he said, Pastor, I was reading my Bible, and I'm confused about something. According to the Bible, is pride a bad thing? So he said, pride a bad thing? I'm going, yeah. He goes, you're kidding. I, when I was reading, I, I thought, and I said, I was so surprised. I thought you're supposed to be proud. I go, no. He goes, oh. It was like first time somebody told him that. Cliff changed. He grew, I, I got to baptize Cliff Carpenter in the pond and I drove out to his house every Tuesday night to disciple him for a long time left town, and Cliff changed. He was transformed by Jesus, his, his pride. He was humbled, and his anger went away. You, you know what the ballpark in Mount Vernon, Ohio, on that end of town is named right now? Can you guess? Cliff Carpenter Park. Because when you have an encounter with a living Christ, when you go beyond celebrating Easter, and you have an encounter with a living Christ, he's capable of changing things. You hear about the little boy, they taught him to pray? They would say, it's just like asking God for what you need. You pray, you tell God, ask him what you need. He's a cute little kid. He decided he, was, he got tired. He was going up to bed. He, he looked over his shoulder. He hollered at everybody, I'm going up to pray. Anybody need anything? <laughs> I was thinking about you guys when I was writing this message, and I, and I know that some of you are like new to us, and it's your first day. Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you're not a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, be a Christian. Become a Christian. We'll show you how. I'll show you how. Jesus did all the hard work. But most of you are here because you are Christians, and my message to you is, you need anything? Anybody need anything? Because we serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he's living. Whatever men may say, he can, he can transform your life. He can lift your anxiety. He can help you with your depression. Yes, he can. You, you, he can. He can clean up your life. He can clean up your tongue. Some of you need it. He can clean up your mind. 
He can make you a nicer husband. He can help you be a, a, a more selfless person. Is it anybody need anything? Can I tell you about Boyd? Boyd was a good old boy. He was. I, I love Boyd. He, he's Lois's uncle, Boyd Banks. And we're down in he's from Kentucky. He's from a little mountain village in Kentucky called Campton. And um, Boyd was, everybody loved him. He was just a good old boy. Would, would you say, is that fair? Just a really good guy. Everybody liked him. Now, when I would go down there then, and, and, and he wasn't really a churchgoer, but if you said to him, you believe in Jesus, he would go, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, oh, oh you know. And, and so I would, would witness to him. And I remember when I would witness to him, he, I would tell him the gospel. I, I would say, you know, you're a sinner. Uh, the Bible says that you, because of your sin, you deserve to die and go to hell. But Jesus Christ died to pay the price for your sin. And when, if you believe and trust him and you'll be converted, that you'll be born again, your whole life would change. And I remember when I would tell him that, he was so kind, you know, he's such a good guy. He would just say, well, Ken, he said, that's, it's, it's good you're saying that, you know, that's good for, good for you, you know, he'd kind of like, that's good. But he was like, the lights were off and there was nobody home spiritually, right? He didn't get it. And no matter how often I witnessed to him, he had that same reaction. It was just like, he was nice and kind and decent. He was kind of like the happy pagan, you know, the, he, he wasn't evil and wicked and going around doing wicked things. He's a good, decent guy. But it was like he really didn't need this whole life transformation thing. He didn't get that at all. He just didn't get it. And I got a call from him one day. And he was full of questions. My goodness, he started peppering me with questions. Some guys at work had been witnessing to him. Kind of rattled his cage. He decided that he was going to go to their church for a revival service. He said, Ken something weird has happened to me on my lunch hour the other day. This is the story, the way he told it to me. I'm just going to tell you the way he told it to me. On my lunch hour the other day, he said, I was sitting in a park, and I was just eating my lunch, and a black dog came out of the woods. I wouldn't write the story this way if I wrote it. It's just the way he told me. He goes, a black dog came out of the woods and started barking at me. And he said, I knew it was a sign from God that the devil was trying to attack me. And I'm like, okay, you know, that works for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely man you know now we got a pulse now we got a pulse you know he's like i decided i would go to the to the to the meeting but i never made it he goes i didn't make it to the meeting i was just overcome and i pulled my truck over to the side of the road and i'm just going to tell you what he told me he said i don't know what's going on with me i feel love for everybody i'm interested in jesus and then he stopped he's from a little mountain town in kentucky where you never saw people who didn't look exactly like you he said, Ken, something strange is happening. I even like black people. That's what he said. I'm like, hmm. Is there a force on earth that can make persons that are prejudiced love people that are different than them? Answer, yes, there is. It's the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which I doubt you have if you don't love the people Jesus made. His life was changed. Boy's life, I wish... Lois, wouldn't it be sweet to have him here today? This, this boy is saved, saved. It's kind of cute. I don't know about speaking in tongues. I don't do that. He does, right? So, so when we're witnessing together, he burst into tongue speaking. I don't know what to do with myself. I'm like, <laughs> all I know is this guy loves God. This guy witnesses everywhere he goes. It's, it's kind of cute. You're like, I don't know what that is, Lord, but I, I feel in my soul. This man has affection for Christ. His life has changed. 
His wife is saved. His kids are saved. You know what he does with his free time now? He goes downtown. Is it Louisville, honey, or actually Louisville? He goes down in Louisville, downtown in Louisville, and he witnesses to people that are overcome with alcohol and drugs on the street. God transformed his life, and he can transform your life, and you need him to transform your life. There's a soul sitting in a single pew on this Easter morning that doesn't need something. Anybody need anything? Just say, yes, I need, I don't want to just eat Easter eggs and chocolate, much as I love that. I want my life changed. I want my life transformed. I had arranged this morning for a, for a woman to come and tell a story to you. And she got sick this morning. So I have permission to tell her story. But Steve, she normally sits right where you are. Her name is Sunday. She's married. Her name is Sunday Creech now. She married one of our deacons, Ed Creech. But when I met her, her name was, uh, ironically, Sunday Jackson. And it was over in Taylor where I used to pastor. Somebody said, you should invite her daughter to church. And my daughter invited her daughter to church. And then they came. Sunday and Ed came. I have permission to tell you all this today. They want, they're eager for me to tell you all this today. Invited them to church. They came. Ed and Sunday just started coming every week. I didn't know this, but they, they had troubles. They had troubles. They had troubles that needed to change. She, she's give me this permission she was going to tell you today. She's wrestling with addiction. Now she's a grandma. She did, they have, her daughter has a new baby, Charlotte, who comes here every week. It's all grown up now, but she was a little baby then, eight and a half years ago. And Charlotte says, I got to get off these drugs because I'm a grandma now. I don't know how to do that. She came to our church. I'll never forget what she said to me. I'm not here for me. I'm here for Charlotte. And that kind of disappointed me when she said that. And I would sit two or three rows back. Lois and I would sit two or three rows back, and they would sit up in the corner of that church, kind of like this one. I remember one Sunday we were singing a song, and I looked up, and Sunday's hands were up in the air, and tears were streaking down her face. I'm like, that's not for Charlotte. That's for Sunday. When I called her and said, would you share your testimony? She said, I'd be happy to share my testimony. I've been clean and sober eight and a half years now. Her husband, Ed, is one of our deacons. Did I mention that before? I've preached a lot of Easter's, and I've seen a lot of people resist Jesus. Color eggs, sing the songs, go on their way. But I've seen a handful had their lives completely changed. That's what you want. You want to walk away like one of the guards and live a lie the rest of your life. You want to walk away a different person, and you can. God, change me. Show me what you want to change. And God, I give you, I eagerly ask you, I give you permission. I beg you, God, can you teach this old dog some new tricks for Easter? Would you change me? Praise God, from whom all.